Toronto FC walked into the Lions' den last week and came out in surprisingly good shape. A 1-1 draw with Leon gives the Reds a slight edge heading into what will be a very difficult still second leg tomorrow in Orlando. My name is Mitchell Tierney. This is Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks. You better believe we have a big, big edition of the show coming up. We'll talk TFC Leon, a 401 Derby in Fort Lauderdale. Canadian Women's National Team, there's just so, so much to talk about this week. Uh, John Molinaro will short, will stop by in just a, a little bit here to give us his new project, TFC Republic. Talk about that. Talk about all things Toronto FC. But unfortunately, we've also picked up an injury in leg one. Jeff's not with us this week. Uh, it's just me and Mike for the first time ever. Michael Singh. Happy birthday, good sir. How are you doing today? Oh, get out of here. This guy had to throw me under the bus like that. I appreciate <laughs> it, Mitch. I appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for for the kind wishes. I know some of the TFC fam has been reaching out. I Sandra on Twitter almost beat my, my family and my girlfriend for wishing me happy birthday. She was almost first. So uh, I appreciate it dearly. Like that, that's really sincere of you guys, and thank you f- uh, for that. Um, yeah, you guys might have noticed that our stream's looking a little bit prettier today with just two faces and we don't have to deal with Jeff above it. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're going to be missing Jeff a lot today. Um, his spunk is, is never uh, replaceable. So uh, we'll, we're down one, but we'll try to try to trek through this. And we have JMO coming up, which should be really exciting. And, you know, we're talking about some games finally. We actually witnessed a Toronto FC soccer match for the first time in like, what, six months? And hey, it was, it was fun to watch too, wasn't it, Mitch? Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't really what I expected or or anything. Going back to game day, obviously, I think leading up to the game and as the hours got closer and closer to, you know, the, the kickoff there, I'd been hearing, we'd been hearing little rumors about who might not be available. Obviously, Alejandro Pozuela was one of those names that uh, got brought up closer to time. Jonathan Osorio, we kind of knew wasn't going to be available. Io Akinola, but... The closer we got to kickoff, the more and more names seemed to, you know, come out as, oh, this guy's not going to be available either. And you see that starting lineup and and first reaction is, for me at least, was, oh, this is going to be another Independiente because we all remember that that infamous game from, what was that, 2019 when, you know, they're playing Griffin Dorsey and Justin Morrow <laughs> on the wings with Terrence Boyd in the middle. Terrence Boyd skies a penalty and they lose away 4-0. Um but obviously, that's that's not what happened, was it? Yeah. Um, first of all, let's give a shout out to the Young Guns because they they made their way into that lineup. TFC were missing ten players, ten regulars from that that opening day uh, fixture against Club Lyon, and for them to be able to, you know, pull out a result, that's that speaks volumes to their character and speaks volumes to to their will and their. They've bought in under this new head coach who has been preaching those exact same sentiment is is that high energy um, grinding out kind of games. And and we saw that come play out perfectly to fruition uh, on one Wednesday. So Club Lyon obviously still was the better team. They created a lot more chances than Toronto FC did. That there was a couple of them where I'm like, wow, they they actually missed that that one that was yeah. just darted across the goal line. Yeah, and... after the guy put Richie on absolute skates too. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. don't see that very often. Very often, and usually there's bad news at the end of that. But luckily, actually, on that play, Alex Bono got his fingertips to it, 
and it just threw the striker off just a little bit there. I don't know how, though, he put it wide. It was a tougher chance to, to miss than it was to score. And, you know, TFC were on the, the better end of things. And that was sort of the theme all night is whenever Club Leon did get a chance to, you know, threaten, they they weren't able to capitalize. And if that that's just the name of the game in CONCACAF, if you're not capitalizing on your chances, usually it, it turns around and bites you in the butt. Um, Toronto FC started that game very well, and they created quite a few chances off the jump. Josie Altador, I think, looked looked solid, and when when he was uh, when he was in that game before he went down with injury, I thought he was threatening, and I thought he linked up well, better than we've seen last year at least with with what was going on. It seemed like he he was more on the same page as everyone else, whereas last year it felt like he he was a little bit off. So I was excited to see that out of Josie. I love the play of Jacob Schaffelberg. Um, in that counter-attacking style of play. I thought he was excellent on the night. And shout out also to Patrick Mullins because he was a warrior in that match. He was an- He's a CONCACAF player, let me tell you. <laughs> He's a big-time CONCACAF player. He wasn't afraid to you know, get under the skin of, of Club Leon players. And you know what? Those are the type of players that you needed in that type of game where TFC aren't as fit, but they're, they're going to they're going to battle and they're going to make it tough on you. And I think that's what we saw and the fortunate again for TFC that they came in on the good end of things. Yeah. I mean, some real positives for, for Chris Armas in his first game here in the sense that if you're playing that style, that high tempo, you know, ask everything of your guys and who knows whether some of the injuries maybe in training or in, in leading up were because, you know, they play this really high octane style. It's going to demand a ton of their players, but if you're someone like Jurgen Klopp as well, who plays a similar style, like you have to have buy-in for that style. And the way you're going to get buy-in is with results like this, where the, the proof is in what you're able to do. And, you know, Toronto FC's lone goal from this game, yes, incredibly lucky, but came off exactly what Armas has been preaching, which is, one, Michael Bradley playing that more advanced role where he steps up, forces a, a an awkward pass back, and then you've got Erickson Gallardo, out of nowhere just i mean uh, credit to you because you've been saying he's got this in his locker for for a while now but he puts on that pressure and and obviously you know after that his misplaced pass is a little lucky but nonetheless it toronto fc's lone goal in this game comes from exactly what chris armis has been preaching so that's that's a really important start and again having that result to go with it it's it's got to build the confidence for toronto fc and got to build the confidence of what the new coaches is has brought Hey, if Erickson Gallardo was going to score, it was going to be in that sort of fashion because <laughs> this guy has has had a bad run since he's been at Toronto. Um, mm. Obviously, very unfortunate with some of the circumstances, and he came over when he just had the birth of his child from Venezuela at what twenty two years old. Um, he's he's leaving his family behind for that. I think he brought over his, his wife, um, but. Still, just to be a newborn father as a 22-year-old and to deal with a, a new team, going to a new country and all those circumstances. He he definitely had had a lot to overcome. And then 2020, I actually had the chance to sit down with him. And we, we talked and he was, he was genuinely excited about the opportunity that was in front of him. He was going to have sort of a fresh start, a full preseason under his belt. And he told me this year, this year was going to be different. Uh, little did we know, he, he was very right there, and, and 2020 was was damn different. But his play obviously wasn't it wasn't a fluid year for for Gallardo. And despite all of the all of the you know bad coverage, I guess that he got, and and the I guess his questionable play, 
Um, he didn't really get a fair opportunity, but even so, Greg Vanny was still singing his praises for some reason. And I think it's because he does have this in his toolbox where he is able to be one of the few players on Toronto FC that could make a difference in a side. There aren't many players who can run through the lines like Gallardo and even Schaffelberg like there that just are, are very direct and, and have the ability to make an impact like that. And I think that's what Chris Armis is looking for. He's looking for players who are capable of pressing and, and capitalizing on those chances. And that that's what happened. I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw the best version of Eric Sangarda we've probably seen in, in the brief time he did play before going down injured under Chris Armis than it was when Greg Vanny was, was in charge because Vanny plays this more methodical style of play, whereas Armis is high energy, high press. And I think that sort of suits what, what Gallardo is capable of doing, especially when he's, he's higher up the field. So, um, hey, hopefully he can build on this and his, his injury isn't too bad. I'm not going to lie, um, professional, professionally and everything. I was watching the uh, Habs-Leafs game as well at the time when Erickson Gallardo scored that goal, and that was a close game. Obviously, it didn't go as, as well as last night's did, but uh, when when that happened, um, I saw the ball loop over the, the Leon keeper, and I thought Erickson Gallardo had chipped him, and there was one moment <laughs> for me where I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? And then, obviously, I saw what had actually happened, but... Um, yeah, no, I think that's a great point on Gallardo. And, and, and as you said, um, a brief glimpse for him, but that's that's the best we've seen of him with Toronto FC. And, you know, we can't can't start singing his praises too much yet because it's such a small sample size. And obviously, this is only the start of what we would hope to see for him with Toronto FC. But uh, positive nonetheless. The, the negative, though, is, of course, his, his time on the field was brief. And this gets into... Again the the injury report um him him going off but some positive news on the injury front i think with Josie Altador reportedly it's it's pretty minor uh he had that mri and is considered day to day so i don't know if we see him tomorrow but we might be able to see him in the next couple of games which is you know could be big for Toronto FC obviously as we have other strikers out yeah, I think that that's sort of best case scenario after we saw Josie clutching his what thigh, hamstring, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever it's a muscle injury in Josie Altador, you you get concerned as a Toronto FC fan. And uh, the MRI, you know, thankfully it, it turned out pretty well apparently. Um, and I don't expect Josie Altador to play a role in, in Wednesday's match. I, I really don't expect him to play a role this week. And I don't think it's we're in a position now where it's the first game of the season. We need to rush Josie Altador and sort of risk anything. So unless we got the green light completely and Josie Altador, you know, shook off that, that knock uh, fairly quickly, then uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush Josie Altador at all. Um, But what I guess we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit here. And I think we do see another striker come back into the fold this week. I think Io Akinola could be available in, in some sort of capacity for Toronto FC tomorrow against Club Lyon. Um, he's been training for a couple of weeks now. He's been start, starting to build up that fitness. Um, again, it, it, it is a question mark. Uh, I'm not certain whether or not Iowa Canola will, will be back, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's available in some sort of capacity, especially if Josie Altador is down injured. That'd be huge for both Io and Toronto FC, obviously. Like, this is the kind of statement game that a young player like Io would have the opportunity to come into and, you know, no secret, Europe is interested in him. Io interested in Europe. This is the kind of game where you can prove against a club like Club Leon, one of the you know at least in the past has been recent past has been one of the top clubs in North America. 
um, that, that you have this ability. So, yeah, that'd be an awesome return game for Io if, if he's available. Now, Toronto FC might be getting some players back as well. I think it is worth mentioning that so will Club Leon, their captain, Luis Montez, who missed the first game uh, due to a suspension, will be back. So, obviously, big one there. There's also some questions about Joel Campbell. Um provided with travel restrictions and all those sort of things. Uh, I I was looking in the the Waking the Red chat before this started. It looks like they're doing some heavy digging into whether or not he'll be available. I saw some some pretty funny uh, uh, training, Snapchats, that sort of thing that they've circled (laughs) out who could potentially be Joel Campbell. So we're not sure on that, but for sure they're getting Luis Montez back. And and obviously, I mean, that goes with with the preview for this this game. It, It you know, even even if Toronto FC is a slight edge, it's it's going to be very very difficult still. Yeah, and just some more context on that Joel Campbell question. Mark is that he was traveling with it's Costa Rica, I think he's with right something like right. that. Yeah, yeah, Costa uh, Rican yeah. international. Yeah, yeah he's a Costa Rican international. So he was traveling with that team, um, and he was fine to play in Mexico because of quarantine regulations. But since this game is being played in the United States. For some countries in the U.S., there's a mandatory 15-day quarantine period. Mm-hmm. And that international break, I think, was at the end of March. I think something around March 30th. Yeah, so, in Europe, yeah. So, yeah, he wouldn't technically be be eligible to for that 15-day quarantine period. So, um, question marks there. We'll keep an eye. Maybe there's an exemption made for him. But if Leon's missing Joel Campbell, that was clearly their biggest threat moving forward last time they played uh, TFC. So, it would be a big loss for them. And considering TFC was missing, you know, they're arguably their, their biggest goal scoring thread in Io Akinola, arguably their best central midfielder in Jonathan Osorio, uh, their best center back in Chris Mavinga and the league's reigning MVP. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's exciting for Toronto FC fans because I really do think they have a shot here in the second leg, especially when they're coming, you know, home. Well, let's let's bring on John here because, uh, yeah, he's he's ready to go. Um, cool. But yeah, Joel Campbell almost had a screamer in that game, so he's definitely going to be dangerous. But now joined by John Molinaro, now TFCRepublic.ca. How you doing, John? Good. How are you guys doing? Good to be with you. Great, John. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, very exciting to to have you back on the Toronto FC beat. Uh, you wrote about this at length over at TFC Republic, but just briefly, why are you back and? Uh, what does that look like now? Uh, why I'm back, uh, boy. That's <laughs> that, that didn't mean to be as targeted. This is it's not, it's not a why are you back? It's a yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I guess two reasons, Mitch. I mean, one was um, you know the last year was was very difficult uh, for me and very stressful. Uh, you know, running the CPL website at the best of times is very stressful. And I wouldn't have it any other way, and I'm not complaining. It should be a stressful job because it's an important job. But especially the last year with what's going on in the world in the pandemic, it was um, especially stressful. And, um, you know, it, I'm burned out. And, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, dealing with depression or mental health issues or anything like that. And, by the way, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I did feel burned out, and I just needed to sort of step away from it and, you know, try something new. And I guess the second reason was, uh, you know, generally, and it's, it's, it's as simple as, you know, I miss covering TFC. Uh, I'm not a TFC supporter by any stretch. Juventus is my club, but, um, 
you know, it, it, for 13 years, I was a TFCB reporter and it was very much who I was and I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's not the most glamorous um, beat in Toronto sports, but <laughs> I think it's the most, I think it's the most interesting one and I find it to be the most rewarding one. And, you know, I love, for whatever reason, I really love covering this team with all its challenges and all its up and downs from, from day one until now. So um, it was just about wanting to get back to doing something I really loved. And if I'm being completely honest, and no disrespect to the CPL because I'm very thankful for my time there. But I think, uh, you know, I got the most out of the experience and my time had just run out there and it was just time to move on. So uh, in a nutshell, those are the reasons. Understandable, John. Um, of course, we're very excited to see you back here in this TSCB. I feel like you're synonymous now with, with Toronto FC with all the work that you've put in. Um, I know high praise, but honestly, John, you do, do deserve it. You've set a lot of the groundwork and, and we are excited to have you back here on the beat. Uh, with that being said, can you tell us a little bit more about TFC Republic and what fans can kind of expect out of that site? Yeah, sure. So it's, I mean, if, if people are familiar with the work I've done, you know, throughout my career, whether it was at, you know, CBC Sports or Sportsnet, um, then I think they're going to like this site. It's, it's very much the same sort of covers that I've always sort of produced, which, you know, in my own humble way, I think is sort of in-depth and comprehensive and nuanced and straightforward and credible and fair. Um, hopefully people know me as someone who doesn't sugarcoat things and just sort of tells things how I see it. Um, and I think that's what they'll, they can expect from TFC Republic. Um, there's going to be, you know, sort of news posts about sort of the daily goings on with the team, whether it's, you know, injury reports or game previews or whatnot. Um, but, you know, kind of going over a lot about what I, what I wrote about yesterday, why I'm doing this. Um, this, that's not going to be the site's sort of main focus. The main site, the site's main focus will be on its feature writing and its storytelling and sort of, you know, in-depth profiles and Q and A's with people. So for instance, literally five minutes ago, I just published a, a Q and A that I did a one-on-one -on -one with Victor Montagliani, the president of CONCACAF. And, you know, we talk about a whole slew of issues from, you know, the expansion of the CONCACAF Champions League and what that means for the CPL to the 2026 World Cup to, uh, his rise to power, quite frankly, you know, as a Canadian, in the, as as FIFA vice president, CONCACAF president, that's pretty special. And I'm not sure, you know, a Canadian would have been able to ascend those heights, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, sure. Stuff like that. And, you know, had stories yesterday about, you know, Chris Armas and how he wants Michael Bradley to slightly tweak his playing style and what that looks like. Um, you know, uh, did a big feature on... Um, Forge FC midfielder Kwame Awua and, you know, the, the player pro protest that occurred last year at the Island Games, which was a pretty significant moment because it was really the, at the players' insistence. They forced the league into doing that. Uh, or, you know, I did a feature on Atiba Hutchinson and what he's meant to Canada and how much longer he could play. Or, or Aaron McLeod, who hasn't played for the women's team in two years but is trying to get on the Olympic roster. So it's going to be sort of in-depth kind of features like that that's really, I think, and hopefully people will agree, will be you know, the hallmark of the TFC Republic website. Yeah. Love you've it. also been teasing uh, an article with uh, former former men's national team. Oh yeah. Andrew Octavio Zambrano, which I'm, yeah. I'm very excited to read when it comes out, but uh, let's talk about a TFC here, obviously sure. uh, the opening game of the season in, in the CONCACAF champions league. And I think most people were pretty apprehensive about a team who hadn't played in, in six months going down to, to Mexico, playing a, a very good side, uh, that was before we found out all the absences and that sort of thing. But 
what are your thoughts on, you know, a game where certainly Toronto FC weren't the better team, but are, are going back to Orlando with, you know, at least a slight edge in, in this series on, on away goals? Well, that's a great result. I mean, it's, and it's far more than I thought they would have earned when I saw like the lineup come out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, when, when I saw, I mean, I was pretty, you know, going into it, I didn't have much hope for TFC getting a positive result from the game just because, as you said, they hadn't played a competitive game in six months. Meanwhile, Club Lyon had played, I think it was 19 games in Liga MX or something like that. So, and they were going down to Mexico on top of that. So, you know, I certainly didn't think both things bode well. And then when I saw the lineup and saw who was missing, uh, you know, my my sort of thoughts immediately turned to, well, they're going to be lucky to get out of here without, you know, suffering a three or four nil pasting. But, you know, overwhelmed and pleasantly surprised by not just the, by the performance, but by sort of the attitude and the grit that the players showed. You know, when they went down one nothing, you thought, or at least I did, well... You know, this is this is where it starts, right? The pummel is gonna is gonna start here, and you know, sure. the goal is gonna gonna come. But they didn't sort of buckle down. They didn't sort of like lose their heads. They kind of stuck at it, um, and you know, they gritted out a result. And of course, it was because of you know players like you know Michael Bradley, who I thought you know put in a man of the match performance. I don't think he gets enough credit on on the goal and sort of forcing that initial you know error. Um, and sort of made it forcing the Mexican player to make a, you know, a wayward back pass. You know, that was a key moment of the game. Um, but you look at people like Ralph Prizo, who was, you know, an 18 year old, you know, playing alongside him in the central midfield and holding his own or Noble Ocello, who I thought had showed glimpses of, of, you know, sort of attacking intent and Jacob Schaffelberg, who, um, you know, really made a pest of himself, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Like, oh yeah. I mean, he was really kind of getting under their skin, and he had delivered some great balls in the box. I mean, I think it was might have even been in the first two minutes where he delivered that great cross from the left flank into Josie, who, frankly, should have done a lot better. I think oh yeah. Um, so I mean, that was you know you got some some great individual performances, but overall, I just think the team performance was something really special because again, just you know the circumstances of of the disparity between the two teams and how much they played lately and, and who was missing for TFC. Again, I certainly didn't think they would get a, you know, come out of there with like a chance to, to win this in the second leg, but that's exactly what they have going back to Florida now. Yeah. And you mentioned him there, Josie Altador. What did you make of his performance and what did you make of the injury that that happened? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think Josie does a lot of things that a lot of good things that people don't necessarily take notice of and appreciate. So, um, you know, they'll notice when he, you know, he misses a scoring chance like he did in the first minute against Jake with the, the Schaffelberg cross. But, you know, you know, under Greg, and I think even more so now, it'll be even more pronounced. He's really going to be the first line of defense yeah. because of the style that they want to play. He's really going to have to sort of, you know, bear down and really sort of, you know, try to get those attackers of the opposing team as they try to play out from the back. Um, not only just to win the ball back, but just to give his sort of defense a chance to reset and get back into position. He's always done that with um, a tireless work effort in, in the past. And I think, again, we saw that against Club Lyon. So I think there's that. Um, you know, he he had some chances, again, that he should have buried. And, you know, like a lot of people, I, I think when, you know, you saw him clutch the back of his uh, hamstring, you thought, oh, my God, here we go again. Uh, but, um, you know, he's whatever you want to say about Josie. And, you know, you can call into question his durability. Um you know, he's a warrior for the team. And I think this team is better with him in the lineup. And, uh, 
you know, all things considered, I thought it was a pretty decent performance from him uh, last Wednesday. Yeah, speaking of, of other players that I was definitely very curious to see what they look like in this game, Michael Bradley, the captain, we've been hearing all preseason. And, and you, as you said, you wrote about it over at TFC Republic about this new role Michael Bradley would be playing. Um, but we obviously got the first glimpse of that against Leon. What were your thoughts on on how he looked and, and how this role might be able to get the best out of, you know, an aging but still obviously very talented Michael Bradley? Well, again, I thought it was a very impressive performance. And it's... Um... You know, I, I think you know. I can't I can't remember who asked uh, who asked it of him in the last sort of like media sort of availability. But Michael said, you know, in essence, you know, he they're asking him to be a bit more of a two way player the way that he was when he first came to TFC. And you know, where I first really sort of took notice of him when he was in Italy playing for Chievo Verona, Menaeus Roma. You know, when he went to Italy, that was a pretty bold move in his career. And you thought, oh man, a U.S. international going to the Serie A that hasn't worked out all that well in the past. But especially at Rome, he really made a very good accounting of himself and really sort of was a new breed of, of, of midfielders in the league who were really shine. Guys who, who can kind of combine uh, power and athleticism, but also with skill and, and ability on the ball. Um, you know, he's always been, you know, dogged in his pursuit of, of, of the ball to try to win it back. But I think it, now it's just a matter of being more sort of clever and systematic with it. And I think you saw that in, in the game against uh, in the first leg against Lyon. He was, you know, around the ball a lot more, higher up the field, more in a more advanced position, um, you know, contributing more on the offensive end as well. I mean, he had a great chance to score. I think it was in, in the first half or the second half, I can't remember, where he really, I think it was from about 25 yards out, fired a low drive to the near post, and he really forced a uh, the goalkeeper to make a great save. First um, half, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean... I think overall it was a good sort of first uh, first glimpse of, of the new quote unquote Michael Bradley, and it, it's a bold move too. I mean, I you know, you know, Michael Bradley is 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 Michael Bradley, right? He's the one of the best number sixes in 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 the league, and for I appreciate that Chris Armas has a long history with him, but still to come in and say to the captain, you know, first thing, uh, you know, we want to ask something different of you a little bit. I mean, that's a pretty. That's a pretty, uh, you know, bold move to make, but he seems more than up for the challenge. And, you know, it's very early goings yet because we're only talking about one competitive game. But from what we've seen, um, it looks like this could be the way forward for for Michael Bradley in, in terms of getting the most out of him. Yeah, sort of building off that a little bit, John. Last season, in my opinion, at least, Michael Bradley started, again, when he came back against DC United, he looked excellent. He looked mm -hmm. like, okay, Michael Bradley's back. But throughout the year, he, he kind of, for me at least, he sort of faded a little bit. Mm. Is that at all a concern here now with the amount of work that Chris Armas is asking Michael Bradley to do? Or do you think he, he's up for this challenge? I think he's up for the challenge. But I, I take your point. I do think it is a, uh, is a bit of a concern, uh, especially in terms of, you know, managing Michael Bradley's minutes wasn't, Greg Vanny's strongest point, right? I mean, <laughs> with all due respect, if, if, if you know, Michael would have to have been dead to not have played. <laughs> if he wanted to play, then he was going to play, regardless of the situation, because that's just, and God love him for it. I mean, that's just the way he's built, right? I mean, he wants yeah. to play over the end, and, you know, you can't really criticize him for that. So I'll be really interested to see how Chris Armas sort of deals with this, because I do think he's, he's what now, 33, if I'm not yeah. mistaken? Um, there has to be some sort of consideration to managing his minutes and his game time a little bit. 
especially with this more sort of athletic sort of style and high press that that Armas wants to play. It could be that, I mean, look, Michael Bradley is a, is a fantastic athlete. He keeps himself in really good shape. And it very well could be that, you know, he won't have any problems adjusting to this and he'll be okay as the season progresses. But it is it is asking a lot of him. And he's not getting younger. And I do think that at some point, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he starts to fade as the season progresses, how Armas handles that and how that conversation goes with telling your captain and the guy who, you know, you mentored when he was a little kid, um, you know, hey, you're going to have to sort of sit this one out because we want to save you for for the weekend. Uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting development to watch over the course of the campaign. Yeah, and just to quickly add to that, and I spoke to Ralph Brieso, and he said there's one player that he looks up to on the squad. It, it's Michael Bradley, and it's for that worth work ethic, like you said, John, is that he he treats his body like no other, and he shows up every single day to training to work <laughs> relentlessly. So that's a great shout there, and and I think we do owe it to Michael Bradley to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt because if anybody can do it at 33 years old, it, it's Michael Bradley. Yeah, I would agree. Again, I, I do think it is a concern, but I think you're quite right. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt for now. And let's see how this goes. But it is something I think we have to keep a close eye on, and, and especially how Chris Armas uh, is going to handle it. Uh-huh. Going into the the second leg now here for, for Toronto FC tomorrow, um, what are the keys here? Because for me, one of the biggest advantages they had in leg one was no one really knew what to expect, right? Club Leon, <laughs> any of us. So now... That at least some of their secrets are are out there. Um, you know what what's what's critical for this club? Obviously, not conceding a goal would be would be the the biggest key. But uh, what what do you think are, are the important things going into the second game? Well, I think first and foremost, finish your chances, right? Because I don't think you know Club Lyon is going to give a terrible amount away. And mm-hmm. well, there were spurring chances in that game in the first leg. Um, you know, if Josie scores that goal in the opening, whatever it was, two minutes off that Schaffelberg cross into the box, and again, I think you should have buried that, then, you know, we might be having a different conversation right now. I think that game might have looked completely different with TFC ahead and Club Lyon forced to chase, chase a result. So mm-hmm. I think that's first and foremost. Um, I don't think they have to reinvent the wheel here. Um, you know, even if guys like Alejandro Pozuelo and Jonathan Osorio, you know, Nick DeLeon, Chris Mavinga, come in, I think it's very much kind of staying the course of what they did in leg one, being solid defensively. Um, and I think, you know, I should have mentioned this earlier, you know, going into the game, when you saw the center back pairing of Omar Gonzalez and Eric Zavaleta, at least I thought, oh man, you know, probably <laughs> they're going to really go at these guys, but, you know, credit to them. I thought oh, yeah. they, they had a really good, showed a really good partnership, kept the game in front of them for the most part, really weren't beaten for pace all that much and made some good clearances. So if they can sort of remain that sort of defensive solidity, um, get, you know, if Pozuelo and Osorio are in the lineup, obviously get them more involved. Uh, and I think just continue to sort of pester and bother and really sort of frustrate Lyon, much like they did in the first leg. If they can sort of stick to those sort of main principles, then I don't think it's terribly unreasonable to expect them to get, you know, a result and advance into the next round. Yeah. Good, good points. And again, building off that, you mentioned that back line there a little bit. I'll, I'll go a little bit further back, and I want to ask you about Alex Bono. Um, yeah, I think he deserves a little bit of a shout because uh, you know he, he did the job that he needed to do. And even on that goal, he, he got his fingertips to it too, and I think it still hit off the post. So um, 
shout out to him, but I'm going to put you in sort of Chris Armis's shoes right now. We see that Quinton Westbury looks like he's back uh, from, from his personal reasons, whatever it was that he missed the match for. If you're Chris Armis, do you start Alex Bono again or do you, do you go Quinton Westberg? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts um, uh, Bono tonight, just because, especially with the game on tomorrow the night. Yeah, sorry, tomorrow night. Yeah, no, uh, especially with the game on with another game on the weekend. Um, you know, it might be, you know, and because, and again, you know, Bono played well in the in the first leg, um, so it wouldn't it wouldn't sort of surprise me to see if he gets the start again tonight, just for continuity more than anything, and and to reward him for a pretty solid performance, but. You know, if you're asking me, is is he sort of like the number one goalkeeper now? Uh, no, I think it's still Quentin Westberg. I think, you know, based on just what he did last year and playing such a pivotal role, and the year before that, to be perfectly honest, I, yeah. mean, I still think back to that to that save in the playoff win against Atlanta uh, that he made. Uh, you know, he's, shot, yeah, yeah, he's been a, he's been a key figure for the club. So, you know, nobody was around training right during preseason. Yeah. So I don't know. So I don't know what took place. So. You know, unless he suddenly lost form, then, you know, which I don't think is the case. But unless that's the case, I don't think you you supplant uh, Quentin Westberg as the starter for, for TFC going into the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, Alex Bono also does have that CONCACAF experience. He, he's done it before, uh, been there before. So maybe that's that's another sign towards where Armis will lean. But again, I, I think this this debate is sort of up in the air, at least for this match, because of the, sure. the poor performance that Bono put in. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair, especially yeah when you when you take into consideration what he did in the first leg. I just don't think you know come the start of the season, the MLS season, you're going to see Bono as as the number one goalkeeper. For me, that's still Quentin Westberg's position. Yeah, I wanted to look a, a little bit ahead here because, of course, Toronto FC do open their MLS season um, this weekend against CF Montreal. That's going to take some getting used to, but. Um, what can we expect from uh, a Montreal side? Quite a bit of turnover. I mean, they turned over everything from their coach to their badge to, you know, yeah. who knows what else. But uh, they'll be based out of Fort Lauderdale this season. And, you know, uh, obviously a transitional year for, for the uh, Club de Foot again. Yeah, i gotta, I got to get used to that, too. I think I've already typed in Impact like about 10 times today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was in our show rundown as Impact, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know the pain I'm feeling. Um I got to be honest, I really don't know what to expect from them because, as you said, there's been just such massive turnover from this offseason from, you know, coaching staff to, uh, you know, on the field to, you know, the club's identity. I mean, um, you hit, I think you hit the nail quite squarely on the head, Mitch, in saying that this is I think this is going to be a transitional year, regardless of that sort of. you know, prediction from Patrice Bernier a couple of weeks ago, where like didn't you have him like second in the Eastern Conference or something like that? <laughs> something ridiculous. I, I can't remember. And I love Patrice. Right maybe he's lacing them up again, though. Who, who knows? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's. I, I think you're quite right. I think this is going to be sort of a transitional year for him. Um, you know, one thing I do like about Montreal is is Plampiet. I think he's a vastly underrated. Uh, central midfield operator who doesn't ne- nearly get enough credit that he does, both at club and national team level. Um, you know, I, John, I think he's... sorry, believe no, me, just on the show, he gets more than enough credit because <laughs> oh, you're sitting right? next. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Sitting... Yeah, he's the biggest Sam. <laughs> but keep well, going. Sorry about that, John. Uh, fair enough. Uh, in general, I would say I don't think he gets enough um, sort of uh, credit and due because I do think he's an unheralded central midfielder for both 
uh, club and country. Um, so, I, you know, having him there, I think he's going to log a lot of minutes this year. I think he's going to be sort of the focal point of that midfield, uh, like he's been for the past few seasons. So that's obviously, you know, an important piece to have in place because I think continuity is obviously going to be an issue for them. But, you know, um, you know, maybe they'll surprise us, Montreal, who knows, but it'll sort of be interesting to see how things play out. I mean, it's all, the games are always entertaining whenever they play Toronto, right? I mean, no matter, regardless of the state of, of the of whatever of the franchises at the time, they are always intense games, yeah. uh, and they're always entertaining. They're all, also always very heated. So I suspect we're going to see more of that on Saturday in Fort Lauderdale. The last time those two teams met, I believe that was when Josie Altador did the whole quiet now thing, right. and that was you know that that late game winner. Um, or was it an equalizer? I don't even remember. But regardless, it knocked Montreal. Was it when yeah knock Montreal out of that top position for the Canadian Championship? And that's why we're talking about TFC here in this yeah. Concacaf Champions League game. So, and there's also that four three crazy game from the MLS's back tournament last season as well. Right. So, like you said, you never know what's going to happen in one of these fixtures. I'm really excited to see what this Montreal team looks like. Um, shifting here gears here, John, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Canadian women's national team, if that's all right. Sure. Um, of course, they have a big match today against England and. They're taking on uh, the the number six ranked club in the world. They it's been a while since they've beat. I think it's over a year since they beat one of these top teams. Two years since they, since they beat one of these top teams. Does this team have it in them to do that? To beat a top tier team? Yeah. Um, I know it's a tough I, one for you to answer, but I, I think it has it. I think the Canadian women's team has it in them to be competitive. Yeah. against a top-tier team over 90 minutes. Um, but to be able to consistently get a result or to beat a top-tier team, um, you know, whether it be in one game or a series of games, uh, bluntly, no, I don't think it does. Uh, and I think we've seen that with results over the last two years. I mean, it's been two years since the last time they beat a, a team in the top 10, uh, and that was uh, England, coincidentally, uh, back in, in Manchester in 2019. Since then, there's been losses to... Well, most recently, the United States at the She Believes Cup, although I thought Canada played quite well in that game. Um, yeah. And then a rather meager showing against Brazil, so. who they're tied with in the rankings at number eight, uh, really outplayed and outclassed in that game. Um, so, you know, no, I, I, you know, I don't think they can sort of consistently beat a top-tier nation. That's not in their, that's not their track record in, yeah. in recent time. When you look at their wins... It's against nations like Jamaica and Costa Rica and Mexico, and and no disrespect to them, but they're not top tier nations. And this is an Olympic year, and you know time is running out. Bev Priestman has a very short window of of of, of opportunity to prepare this team for you know Tokyo. Uh, so you know games like these are vitally important because I think it just kind of gives them a chance to not only gel and kind of find their rhythm, but also possibly give them a little bit of momentum and, and some sort of confidence going into the Olympics because, again, they haven't beaten a top-tier team in two years. So if they can get a result uh, you know, today against the English, you know, that's a positive sign. It doesn't necessarily mean that they can go on and win another medal in, in the Olympics, but it does, I do think it puts some wind in their sails. So, again, interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, definitely a massive difference between thinking you can and knowing you can. So I think that'll be the key for for today's game against England. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time today. It's been it's been awesome to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was great talking to you.
Thanks, JMO. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone, make sure to head over to tfcrepublic.ca. Um, awesome stuff there already. And as John said, a lot more exciting stuff coming up. So great to chat with him again. Uh, a lot of good insight into Toronto FC, Canadian Women's National Team, you know, CF Montreal even. Yeah, <laughs> CF Montreal. Man, I'm just really yeah. excited to have John back on the beat because the work that he produces, like I said, is second and not in terms of the features and, and the in-depth reporting that he's able to do. Um, so I'm super excited about that. And this team is is severely undercovered. Like we try and do the best that we can here at Wake and the Red to try and cover a bunch of different storylines. But there's so many that that go over our head that we just can't get to. We don't have the capacity to get to. So to have another senior voice like John back on the beat where you know he's gonna be he's gonna be digging into those stories, make sure you go check out TFC Republic because I guarantee you the, the quality of content will be will be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh I think only good things for John and hopefully uh yeah, hopefully obviously this this um project works out for him because like you said, you know, when we talked about with one soccer um, we talk about this as well, right? Like people who are investing in Canadian soccer coverage, obviously, like we need to support them, and and that's how everything gets better. And having John back on the beat, you know, it it raises all uh, what is the tide raises all boats or whatever. We need John Herdman on again for, to correct our quotes, but um, <laughs> uh, rising tide raises all the boats. There you go. Um, yeah, rising so think, tide uh, raises so, all the boats. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the quote. We'll, we'll see. Someone, someone in the comment section will maybe maybe help us out on that one. But um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk some Canadian women's national team briefly, I guess, uh, here because obviously we don't want to get too much into it because this will become dated at uh, later this afternoon. But uh-huh. um, I did want to quickly touch on obviously their win three uh, 0 against um, Wales, which you know. Again, Wales not not a top team. Obviously, the the thing for this team is is beating is is getting into that top ten and, and beating those top teams. But I mean, you, for a team that hadn't scored more than one goal in a game, and like I think it was two years as well, like since the twenty nineteen World Cup, that that has to be seen as a positive. I think. <laughs> Hold on, before we move on, Jason <laughs> Jason picked us up here in the chat. Rising yeah. tides raises all the boat, all the boats. So I guess not all the votes. Is that what you said? Votes? No, I said boats. You said okay. It sounded like yeah. you said votes. So uh, no. <laughs> uh, either way, you know they they picked us up there. I see Richard has that in the chat too. Jeff just yeah. just you know mangled that. So very proud of you there. <laughs> um, but yeah, just getting back to this, the Canadian women national team, I think it's going to be a very important fixture for them as, for all the reasons that John laid out is that they haven't done this against a top tier side in over two years. And I think it'll be massive for their confidence heading into the Olympic qualifying if they can get over this hump. That being said, uh, we can talk about the Sheepley's Cup performance a little bit, but that's also missing so many of the regulars. Like I think mm-hmm. there's six, seven players that were absent and really, really good players and important players for the squad. The squad still doesn't have Kadisha Buchanan at the back. So we really don't know exactly what this Canadian women's national team does look like um, until they sort of are able to insert all of these names. Um, I'd like to see, we can talk a little bit about Ashley Lawrence. I'd like to see her play more central midfield because I think she can make a bigger impact in the game. And she's a difference maker on the world stage, not just mm-hmm. with Canada with globally, she's a difference maker and she has the ability to play center of the park. So, um, just to sum up, I, I said, this is going to get outdated by the time this, this is released, but 
this they need to they need to dig in here and get a result to really prove to themselves that they're capable of doing this. And if they can, I, I do believe they they have what it takes to to potentially go on and earn a medal at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Olympics comes down to just beating a couple of big teams, right? Like it's not like a World Cup. There's there, this is a smaller field. It's tough to qualify for, and some of those big teams aren't going to be there. So you know, you have to beat one or two giants, and then all of a sudden you're on the podium and. Canada, you know, they they obviously need to prove that they're capable of that to to get another medal. But the other good thing you mentioned the absence is we've been able to see at least a few players emerge from the player pool that maybe wouldn't have gotten that opportunity before. And three that I think really are going to push for a spot in the Olympic roster and potentially a spot in the starting roster is Vanessa Gilles at the back. Um, Evelyn Viennes up top who, who got her first goal and obviously goals are so critical for this Canadian team and then Quinn who yeah. I think they are potentially the most complete midfield uh, other than Fleming but uh, add another element to the Canadian midfield you know in terms of ball possession in terms of passing range and we saw that on the first goal for Canada so you know in, in that sense there's there's at least that bit more of competition for spots that didn't exist before all the players weren't available for she believes in and these two friendlies as well. So some, some decisions for Bev, but some good decisions as well. Yeah. Great shouts. I mean, I, I feel like we can talk about this for the rest of the episode just because <laughs> it's such an exciting time for the Canadians women national team. Cause there is a lot of uncertainty. It's like, like I've said this in the past, but it could really go either way. They could, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of, fumble the ball here and and you know get knocked out early come come olympic time but i also wouldn't be surprised if they have what it takes to to make a deep run so i i honestly don't know i'm just really curious and um i'm excited to see you know all of these names that are coming in that are doing so well on, on with their local clubs i'm excited to see them come in to the mix here at the national team build some chemistry and hopefully produce some positive results yeah for sure um, where do you want to go next? I mean, we could go, we could go, uh, CF Montreal preview. We could go Michael Bradley. Anything, uh, anything you particularly want to go to here? Uh, yeah, let's, let's hold off on the CF Montreal preview because I think there still is a bigger, bigger task at hand that I, I think, enough, yeah. I think we need to, to get past before we start looking forward. I think that's sort of TFC's mentality with all of this as Bill Manning, you know, told us on our podcast, but there's one trophy that he would like to win. It's that CONCACAF Champions League trophy. So mm-hmm. just to touch on that CF Montreal game, I think we're going to see TFC go for it in this game. And then since it is the first match of the season, I expect a lot more squad rotation for that game. Especially, you know, if they do move on here hypothetically and, you know, have another tie to play come at the end of the month. So, yeah, I'll leave it at that in terms of the CF Montreal game. I, I, I really don't know what to expect from this TFC team. I don't know what to expect from CF Montreal. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, about Michael Bradley, though, because John touched on it there. Um, and Ken, do you believe, Mitch, that he can sort of sustain this pace throughout the, the entire season? Because it is asking a lot from him. Um. I don't know if I think he can play like every game like he has in the past under under Greg Banny. And as John said, that was and we've mentioned it on this show. I think I think we talked about it on the first ever episode of this show was the fact that, you know, Greg Banny sometimes didn't know when to tell Michael Bradley to sit. And I think it it kind of hurt both the player and the team towards the end of the season because he he did just look tired. With that being said, 
Um, I think this is a great position for him. And we saw why in this game, like we always knew Michael Bradley is a great presser of the ball, but in the past teams have known, you know, if you see Michael Bradley pressing up, yeah, you're a little bit concerned, but if you knock it by him, who's going to be there to recover for you. Right. And I think Toronto FC have a much better balance now, especially if, you know, it's known that he's playing that more advanced role where now they're going to have guys in behind who can pick up, you know, scraps of balls that go past Michael Bradley. I think they relied too much on him to shield the back line in the past and, and while still hunting for balls. And he, there was a time when he could absolutely do that without it being an issue. But now his legs have gone a little bit. And, you know, I, I really like what I've seen from a guy like Ralph Preso who can step in there. We know that Delgado and Osorio have that ability as well. So I think it's just about defining those roles and not having Michael Bradley shield the back line now, having him play a little bit further forward. I think that's going to pay big dividends this season. Yeah. Um, kind of a forgotten soldier there. What about Liam Frazier and um, this predicament now that he's in? Because we're just starting to talk about Ralph Preso, who's what, five years younger than he, he is. And then we're yeah. starting to talk about Noble Akello, who's, you know, three, three years, great, by the three way, years younger than he is. What what what's the plan here with Liam Fraser? Is he sort of the forgotten one here? Um, because for me, at least, I think he's too similar of a player to Michael Bradley. And until Michael Bradley comes out of the side, I don't think we're going to see very much Liam Fraser, barring some injuries to other central midfielders. And as much as that that hurts me to say, I think that is the truth. Because Liam Frazier is incredibly talented. He hasn't had a fair run here. Um, but what sort of role do you see him playing this year, Mitch? Uh, again, it's an interesting one because I think w- we've only ever really seen Bradley and Frazier together in a like kind of double pivot where they're both playing as a central defensive midfielder. It's terrible, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it hasn't worked great because there's just not the balance there. I wonder if you do if you have moved Bradley a little bit further forward if it, if it just works out a little bit better, but we'll see. Um, where I see Frazier at the moment is exactly where he came in during this game is when you need that defensive stability late in the game. You know, we, we've seen, Fra- I mean, look at where Frazier made his international debut against the United States in a high pressure situation and he played lights out, right? Like, I don't think this guy feels pressure in in the same way that maybe some of those other young guys do. So, I think having that ability to bring him in late in games at the moment and and be able to close out games is is going to be massive for Toronto FC. With that being said, with an eye towards the summer, I think I think Liam's going to get an opportunity for someone and he has to take his chance here because, you know, Canada's got Gold Cup, there's World Cup qualifying and obviously some of those guys are going to remain at Toronto FC. Frazier is going to get a shot somewhere in that opportunity to play an extended run of games and again, he's he's got to take it because we see now the chances are getting more and more limited with the amount of players who are already there, the amount of players coming through. Um, yeah, it's 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 a big, big season for Liam Frazier, and obviously he needs to take any chance he gets. Massive, massive season for Liam. Um, but you mentioned that U.S. national team, or the Canadian national team game against the U.S. The reason why he came into that match was because Mark Anthony Kay went down to, the, what, the sixth minute or something like that injured and then Liam mm-hmm. Frazier's name was called. I think that's the only way right now that I can see Liam kind of getting into the squad is either people go away for international duty or someone comes down injured. Um, and that's, again, unfortunate, but that's the reality of it with the competition TFC have there in the center of the park. I think, in my opinion at least, Armis 
is really impressed by by Preso. He's really impressed by Okello, and it's going to be tough to sort of displace those guys, um, especially if if you're playing a sort of a different role. But if TFC, like Mitch said, does go to that single pivot, Liam Fraser is the type of player that can fill that mold, um, along with an Azorio or a Marky Delgado too. So. Let's keep an eye on Liam. Let's see how he does this year. There's going to be a congested schedule. So as Mitch said, there will be plenty of opportunity for him, but he has to take it. And it's not good enough now where, where Liam sort of last season when he did get his chances, he was all right, but I don't think he blew anybody away. I think when mm-hmm. if this point now, he has to blow people away to sort of make his name in the squad to be consistent because he's right now sort of a utility player. And for Liam's aspirations, I know he has higher aspirations than being a utility player. Uh, for this side so again just someone to keep an eye on uh i touched on it earlier mitch but what did you make of jacob schaffelberg yeah i mean we we actually some credit to us we talked about him a lot in the, the lead up to the game because like you said he's he's one of those players that uh, just fits the chris armis system so well because he does have that run of pace he can close down quickly he's got a lot of energy on that side and uh, look, the, the criticisms of Jacob Schaffelberg in this game would be somewhat similar to what they have been in the past, where that final ball wasn't always perfect. There was one time where Josie made a nice run to the back post, and that was on the noble through ball where he he, he fluffed the cross yeah. a little bit. And obviously, you know, you, you need to get those crosses more times than not if, if you're going to um, be a consistent player at that position. But with that being said, you know, there's a confidence to Jacob Schaffelberg this year. And we saw it even towards the end of last year where now I think he believes he can beat players at wide. He knows he has that pace. And again, from the opening minute, he's just one of those guys where um, someone from Lyon described Toronto FC as kind of buzzing. And he was kind of leading that buzz where he would like all all of a sudden, like someone would slip off slightly and all of a sudden Schaffelberg's on you, right? And that's huge, and that's again, that's going to be the key to this season for Toronto FC is having guys like that. So, I think we see a decent amount of Schaffelberg, especially early on in this season, because of what he can bring at that that spot. I agree, and I've said this in the past. I've said this on this show. There aren't many players on Toronto FC like Jacob Schaffelberg. There aren't many pure natural sprinters, people who can run through lines. Like even Erickson Gallardo, he's not like Jacob Schaffelberg, where he can just run relentlessly. Um, back and forth and, and put pressure on players. I think Patrick Mullins, another one who could do that. Uh, Jaden Nelson's another one who could do that. But other than that, I really don't think there's anyone who's really a game breaker when it comes to their their pace on Toronto FC. Uh, I could, I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone there in that mix, but it's a it's a very limited role that, or a very limited amount of players that can play that role for TFC, and that's why I think. Jacob Schaffelberg is going to be key here because he has the ability to get on teams like that in the counter. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. saw briefly mm-hmm. with uh, when he played with Alejandro Pozuelo in his like first little stint with Toronto FC where he's getting a run out, like Paz loved that kind of ability to send balls in behind to Schaffelberg. Like they connected a lot. And obviously, you know, that was very, very raw Schaff where he like, he was... Yeah, he just struggled to to get to the end line and struggled to put in crosses. And he, while he got himself into good positions, the end product was there very rarely. I mean, I joked that every time he got the ball, he just won a corner because he was hitting <laughs> he was hitting a defender with his cross. But if if he can add to that, I mean, again, Toronto FC has players who can find you if you're getting in good positions out on out wide. And like we we've seen this with Richie last year, right? Like like that is that is a 
way forward for Toronto FC if they can add that width. And obviously Schaffelberg would be a would be great to balance out what Richie brings on the on the right side there. Yeah, and that's a great shot. I think Jacob down the left and Richie down the right was is sort of that those players that are giving TFC that width. And I think we'll throw Richie into that mix as another player who can run through lines. But other than that, I really I can't think of many players who can do that. Mm-hmm. And when you have a player like Paz who just sprays balls and controls the game from the center of the park and is one of the best passers in all of MLS, you need players who run on the end of things. And Jacob Schaffelberg is one of those guys. When Iowa Canola comes back, he's one of those guys. If Josie Altador can link up with Paz, he could be one of those guys. Um, but you still need that 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 width. And Jaden Nelson, Jacob Schaffelberg, Erickson Gallardo, I think Shaquille Marsha-Rudy maybe, but that the list ends there. Um so I think Jacob does have a big role potentially he can play under Chris Armis. And if he takes full advantage, I do expect him to get several, several minutes this season. We should uh, probably get you out of here because the TFC press conference is starting soon. So everything we've just said will be out of date and uh, <laughs> relevant. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some answers on, on a couple of things. So stay tuned to the Waking the Red Twitter page and, and Michael's Twitter page as well um, for, for updates on all of that. But yeah, thank you so much to, to John Molinaro. That was it was great to catch up with him. Awesome to hear about his new project and, and everything he's doing there over at TFC Republic. We're excited to have him back. Um, thank you to Pumped. producers Kevin and uh, Sophia for the work behind the scenes. Of course, Edwin for uh, his work covering... Um, the episodes and doing articles based on that um you can head over to waking the red to get those get your game day coverage get ready for tomorrow's champions league uh canada england so much going on um but until next week have a good one